Hello and welcome to Watch the Throne. What a lovely day. This is episode 43, Atomic Blonde from 2017. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And with us today, we have a very special guest, a first-time guest, someone who I've heard in my ears a lot, but have not (laughs) spoken to until this very moment. We have from, you may know her from the Real Bad podcast on this podcast network, in which she has been roped into watching all 400 Highlander movies. <laughs> you also might know her from her own podcast and website, Snark Squad. We have Nicole Sweeney. Hello, Nicole. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. This is one of the movies that we have very much been looking forward to talking about. And so we're thrilled to have you here to talk about this great movie. Yeah, I'm so excited to talk about it. I love this movie. So I'm I'm so pumped to talk about why this movie is amazing. And I know that you covered it on your podcast so if anybody wants more of nicole's <laughs> thoughts go check it out on snark squad mike and i were talking about before that we didn't listen to it because i sort of didn't want to be spoiled of like mm-hmm. i, I kind of want my own original idea i don't know i don't know but if you want more <laughs> it's out there for you I, we talk about this all the time too about like philosophies on consuming other reviews before you start talking about a thing and i am very like i don't care i like i want to take them all in because i feel like i don't know i, I don't know if this is like a like a, a like an academia whole over that I'm like, well, all of my thoughts are just a synthesis of other thoughts anyway. So for me, I don't care. I want all the reviews. My co-hosts, a, a, a lot of our guests especially, are very like, no, I'm going to come in with only the thoughts that come up when we're having this conversation, <laughs> uh, which is fair. Totally also a fair take, but I don't know. I don't, uh, I have no pretensions to being original at all, so <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> So this is a movie that I had seen in theaters, that I know Mike had seen in theaters. Mike, when we decided to do this podcast, yes, obviously the big one was Mad Max, Fury Road. Right, right. But I mm-hmm. think this might have been, like, number two in terms of, like, mm-hmm. movies that we want to talk about. Because I was looking back, I was trying to remember when I saw this. This came out in July of last year, and I saw it, but we didn't decide we were going to do this until November-ish. Mm-hmm. So, like, this wasn't even germinating in our thought. I think we maybe had been like, oh, Charlize would be cool to do wrong but (laughs) we didn't know when i saw this movie in theaters like how awesome it would be to talk about just you know a little over a year later but here we are yeah when this came out in theaters it was just an awesome movie that came out you know i mean one half of isn't this directed by one of the john wick guys david leach yes yeah so one half of john wick so you know we love keanu in that and yeah when this just came out i mean it was amazing so i think maybe it was influencing our decision a little bit knowing that this was going to be some gold at the end of the rainbow there this in fury road we were like well Mm -hmm. you know down the line we'll we'll at least be able to have a platform to talk about this amazing movie and how much it kicks ass and everything and here we are but boy man i wish we had just found another way to talk about it sooner because boy we went through the (laughs) trenches to get here like we we were in our own east berlin for a while like trapped behind a wall of terrible movies ourselves in this podcast so i am just so enthusiastic to talk about this does that make ben affleck our satchel like was he the one sabotaging us from the beginning (laughs) well he would be mcavoy so he okay yeah because she's satchel Right, which yeah, I, wanna, I know, but I'm just trying to get like, there. We'll get there. Yeah. Oh man. Um, okay. But yeah, you know, I have not seen this since theaters. Like, I remember you came by to do some Cage Club revisited, and you gave me the Steel Book. Oh right, Blu-ray. I forgot. Yeah. yeah. So, so Nicole, here's what happened. So I ordered this. <laughs> Best Buy does a lot of cool Steel Books, and so I ordered the Blu-ray Steel Book, and then they released or they announced the a 4K Blu-ray Steel Book, and so I ordered that too, and I canceled the one, but they sent me both, and I didn't get charged for both. I was like, huh. 
okay, I don't know what to do with this. My order was canceled. I don't think I can return this. So here you go, Mike. Yep. This is my confession to the world that I ripped off Best Buy, but like did it, nothing, <laughs> didn't do anything wrong. But yes, I gave that to you as, as a token of appreciation. Yeah, yeah. And it, and it was like, again, like I said, I've been saying this often on, on our show because we've decided to do like so many new podcasts in the middle of me going through like the stack next to my television. But like yep. this was like right at the top of the stack and you're like, let's do Charlize because... Ben Affleck is creepy right now. And I'm like, absolutely, let's do that. Mm -hmm. And so, like, I took it off the stack, put it in the Charlize dresser for a while, and, like, it's been, uh, I've denied myself this. And (laughs) it's crazy. I, I feel it was just like, I'm glad I did it. Like, for some reason, it just made it so much more enjoyable. I'll never go that long without watching it again, but it was so worth it to wait. So now, Nicole, you saw this movie a bunch. Do you see it in theaters, too? Yes. I saw it in theaters, like, right after it came out. The moment I saw the trailer for this, Nick, who hosts Real Bad and is also my coworker, I remember, like, Slack messaging him the, like, the trailer for this because I watched it like an inordinate amount of times like just like on repeat I was like this is amazing this is just like glory washing over me so yeah I was I went to the theaters as soon as it came out was everything I dreamed it would be bought it on DVD as soon as that was an option or blue whatever so yes I've seen this movie a lot of times starting with when it was in theaters I don't even know where to begin talking about this because I've only seen it <laughs> twice just like Mike and like I kind of like I remembered the twist of it all that she was aligned with John Goodman and I think knowing that at the beginning is a cool thing to know because you sort of see the real subterfuge of that interrogation Mm -hmm. that runs throughout. And I think that there's just, there's so much cool in this movie that people look cool. They're lit in really great ways. The fighting is awesome. We will get to that staircase scene later. Everybody is just beautiful, except for, you know, James McAvoy's, what do they call it? Sinead O'Connor haircut or whatever? (laughs) Unfortunate Sinead O'Connor haircut. I think you can rock that. That's a Professor X hair growing in, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I mean, it's just like, I think my original review is like, this is everything I want in movies. Like, it looks good. People look good. They kick ass. Great soundtrack. Killer visuals. Like, I don't know what more I want. Like, I just love this movie i love the way that it looks and the way that it feels and it's just great yeah it's just it's dripping in aesthetic like it has a very very clear aesthetic and everything about it is like everyone's staying on brand (laughs) throughout the entire uh, entire experience yeah it really does feel like its own world like like a very established world that we're coming into too and everyone is totally totally believable and living in this like it's not quite reality of course you know it's like mm-hmm. hyper realism and everything but everything like sticks to that yeah it never really draws outside the lines I found that quite impressive I mean I'm a little upset because I hate when I have to say it's refreshing to get like <laughs> this type of camera work in a movie you know in this day and age but I am just I was just so appreciative of the way the camera told this story at times and was just not cutting like there isn't a ton of coverage in this movie which I thought was really cool it's always tricky to pull that off it's beautiful to look at it's sort of this neon noir spy mm-hmm. thriller thing mm-hmm. going on it's like the look of a Nicholas Wanden Refn thing but you get the action of like the John Wick stuff so it's like yep great merger this is also a movie that like we said that was directed by the co-director i think the uncredited director of john wick 
but Charlize also trained with Keanu while doing this. So, like, she had, like, eight really? personal trainers, but she also trained, like, while he was doing John Wick 2 training, uh, she trained with him buddies or whatever, because they had been in a couple movies together, and they're both, you know, total badasses, and go check out Keanu Club or this podcast <laughs> for, you know, Devil's Advocate and Sweet November. So, yeah, but they're, they're friends, and I think there's, there's talk, I think there's plans for an Atomic Blonde two mm-hmm. there's obviously gonna be a john wick three i think there was i don't know if it's just playful banter or just hopeful people on the internet but i would love a crossover like we've gotten you know a drama and we've gotten a rom drum if you will but i really would love like a killer action movie with the two of them like don't care what decade it's in like they could do any decade just like let's get keanu and Charlize in a movie again just kicking ass and taking names. I'm right there with you. You know what? I'm thinking about it now, they would have been good as Mr. and Mrs. Smith with mm-hmm. the, uh, the the Pitt Jolie movie. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I don't know if they could exist in the same universe, right? Because one thing that I didn't realize going in to see this was that it took place in the 80s. You know, John Wick takes place maybe in the future even. I don't really know. It's it's not quite clear right. when that takes place exactly, but it's not in yeah. the 80s. So I would love to see them, though, collaborate on some type of, yeah, action, badass, ass-kicking movie together. So let's talk about the action in this movie. There's the Obviously, the big thing is that 10-minute stairwell scene, mm-hmm. which apparently is not one shot. It's like 40 shots, you know, seamlessly spliced together mm-hmm. using yeah. computer graphics and stuff like that. But still, it's the effect of one shot. It's still stunning. It's still beautiful. Yes. I think my two favorite moments, though, in this movie, number one, when she tie the, the, the hose fight, mm-hmm. the hose battle, mm-hmm. oh, where yeah. she uses a hose as a weapon. In that battle, my first favorite thing is that she slams a freezer door into a guy's face just like opens it into his face Uh like that's pretty uh cool and then my number two favorite thing is when she ties the hose around the guy's neck and then uses it to rappel out the window down to the floor below her and just like drags him along the floor like that is it's just it's inventive and it's creative and it's just it's making use of the world around you in a way that i feel like too many movies don't like i feel like the raid Mm -hmm. and the raid 2 do that kind of stuff where they're just like scrapping for any weapon you can get but i feel like in too many movies and i'm not counting john wick because like it's very carefully gun foo but i feel like too many movies just like rely on like guns or punching and this mm-hmm. uses the world like they punch a lot but they also use the world around them for like these just like just to beat the shit out of each other with like whatever's around they have her she uses it lorraine uses it in particular she uses the world yeah. around her more so and i think some of that is like an interesting and like thoughtful framing device because by and large i mean she's not that like she's by no by no means a tiny woman like she's tall and she's badass but she's like by and large fighting off a shit ton of men it is a good way to show that like yes she can hold her own and part of how she can hold her own it's not just by being a really strong badass but also because she's ridiculously resourceful and like that mm-hmm. is yeah. essential to her like strength and capability yeah joey reminded me she reminds me a little bit of haywire like the way Ooh, she yeah. like, you maybe uses like her heel her like her high mm-hmm. heels to fight with and things like that it also like hard back to a lot of stuff like uh, like Jackie Chan stuff or like the Asian Hong Kong cinema sort of movement and everything where they're using their environment as weapons or trying to use it as yeah just use their environment as a weapon and and that is their advantage and we see that also in Haywire where she just like uses a table for no reason she just like throws a table at someone <laughs> it's great too there's a lot of like western influence too like the jumping out the window with a person tied around mm-hmm. their waist and um, I've seen that that's that was also a 
big joke in the first Machete movie too, where he uses someone's intestines to oh, do yes. that mm-hmm. and everything. So it's just really great how they can use these tropes, but ma- mask them to make them feel sort of fresh and inventive again, because like they've just got everything else locked down so hard, they know like exactly what they're doing, and it it all just seems so planned out perfectly. There's also a little bit of that environment using when. McAvoy is fighting Sophia Butella at the end where like he hits her in the face with the phone and she's just like grabbing everything around her and just stabbing whatever he can find or whatever she can find into him like there's a bit of that there and I feel like it feels like the Germans and the Russians have like their own set of like very kind of refined brutal fighting the characters that we're kind of rooting for at times throughout this movie are sort of doing whatever they can to get by I also feel it's maybe like you know home field advantage in a way Mm -hmm. that it's like they're the outsiders in this world, and that even though James McAvoy is this guy who is the the head of this base, you know he's still there. He, he's sort of a, a, still a fish out of water. I feel like it's they're just trying to do whatever they can to sort of blend in. Down with his haircut, you know, like he has it so that he can blend in. Like he's trying to do everything he can just to make sure that their their number one goal is to survive. Yeah, I, I actually feel this is an especially brutal movie, but for some reason it isn't offensively brutal. <laughs> like mm-hmm. like John Wick's, like somehow it gets away with it. Like people getting shot in the face or getting keys sticking out of their head and stuff. And I'm just like. I'm not grossed out and I'm not any of this like they're making it work somehow and I there's a grace to this like that's it too there's almost it's like bullet ballet like there's a term coined from like John Woo movies like there's even a thing in like the elevator scene from Hard Boiled seems to be somewhat replicated from this with with the long take shootout and stuff and there's just like a beauty to it almost I want to say which like yeah in the mayhem like within all that and so I know it's not real right and so that's registered and then I can just sit back and appreciate you know the look and the feel and the vibe that I'm getting from it which is just like super super aggressive and sexy and fun and dangerous and I know I'm gonna just be okay at the end of it so I like (laughs) soak it all up and it's just like so invigorating to be able to watch something like so aggressive Uh, it's almost cathartic like you're watching it and it's like oh I feel like a release after this like I didn't have to do any of that but I got to watch someone like kick the shit out of like 80 (laughs) people on screen speaking of it being cathartic the other like fight moment that I really really loved was following the stairwell bit uh, like the tail end of that fight Mm-hmm. when it's Lorraine and I, I don't know the guy's name, but the the last guy standing um, yeah. at the end of that fight, they have this bit where they're both just like clearly exhausted and like they like just yeah. are like collapsing like that whole final bit in the theater like I actually laughed because like, like they played <laughs> that bit like and, and not at a like you know like oh I'm being taken out of it but I was like yeah like this feels real okay I you know y- you feel like everything leading up to that is all very aggressive it's all very intense and it's and and it is all so kind of intensely choreographed and everything that like you get to the end of that and they're both just spent and like staggering around I, it was like I don't know, just a really cool moment to include alongside all of these other very elaborate and and intense choreographed fights. I think that's something that David Leach brings to, because I don't remember if it's the first John Wick or the second one, which I don't think he had a thing to do with, but there's like moments where in those movies, like there's really an opportunity to breathe, kind of like literally yeah. breathe. Yeah. Like there's one point where 
where Keanu holds a guy, pins a guy against the wall with his gun while he reloads the gun, and we watch him reload the gun, and then he kills the guy with that gun. Like, you see that all happen in real time, and it's just like this whole, like, evolving... Or, Joey, I think at the moment, you know, one of our favorite moments, when he stabs the guy so close, he, like, face-to-face, and it's just this oh, yes. quietness mm-hmm. as, like, his last breath is coming out the of life drain from him, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's just watching the light, and it's such a quiet moment in the middle of that raid, or I think he's in the a bathhouse raid it's like they have consideration for the audience as they know like we're going full steam like give them a rest like pump the brakes for a second because the audience needs to catch their breath and then it's like all right go again go at it again and what's even greater question mark is that in that scene where they've they've given everything they have and it looks like the guy has the upper hand on Charlize and he like insults her in a way, and then she turns the tables on him, and she says, I'm my own bitch now, and then kills him. It's that, you know, this one goes to 11 in a sense, like, they had given it all, but then she finds that extra level to go to, like, oh no, you're not going to insult me, you're not going to call me a bitch, like, I'm my own woman, I'm going to take you down. And still, like, all the while, the guy that she's trying to save is, like, bleeding out in the background, he's just trying to find, like, you know, masking tape or (laughs) duct tape or whatever, just keep himself, Mm -hmm. you know, literally his insides in. Like, there's just so yeah. much going on in the, that scene, and I think it just, it, it's just wonderful. If, if I'm not mistaken, that's the blonde guy that beat her up earlier, once, or, like, in the movie theater. Like, he tried to tussle with him before, and she had to, like, escape East Berlin. Like, they fought while they were in the movie theater. I think it's that like she keys his face. I'm not positive, mm-hmm. but I tried to keep track of that because there was just, like, one of the bad dudes that I could distinguish from the rest of them. You know, just because they were all in their Eastern European leathers and stuff, it was hard <laughs> to tell. I was like, but there's a blonde one. And I was like, he seems pretty tough. So I wasn't sure if it's the same one, but I thought that would have been cool. Like, oh, she finally gets, like, the guy that, you know, she couldn't beat earlier. And not only that, like, after killing, like, six of his friends. No big deal. In that stairwell scene, when she kills the two guys, and like that seems like the first two guys she kills seems to take most of her energy out of her. And then Spyglass is like, two more, there's two more. She's like, all right. And she kills those guys. And then there's two more after that. It's just like, there's, it just, it's not like these overwhelming hordes of guys. Like, you know, yeah. it's not like in Fury Road where there's just car after car after car of war boys or, you know, like we talked about in The Matrix. Like, there's not like Burly Brawl where it's Neo against 100 Smiths. Like, it's kind of a relatively manageable number of enemies, but they just keep coming. And it's just, it's just her, even though she is this superhero of sorts in this movie. She is just a woman. Like she's just she has finite amount of energy and this movie does a great job of tracking that like energy depleting over time. It's funny, I thought of it in a in a way like those beat 'em up arcade games like Final Fight where like mm-hmm. you'd you'd beat up like five or six guys and then you could advance the screen a little <laughs> bit and then there'd be like five or six more guys you gotta beat up and like that's you'd do a whole stage like that and it's pretty cool how they just staggered it. I find it more enjoyable like it's more cinematic i mean i'm I'm always less is more kind of guy and for me i feel like they're doing enough uh with the look of this movie and other things the dialogue the soundtrack for christ's sakes we'll get to the soundtrack but like so for me like they can tone down a lot of the other stuff i don't need her fighting six guys at once i can see her go through a, like a like a boss rush you know go like one guy at a time but have to fight six guys like I, that's that to me was more satisfying this time than you know than even that old boy fight in the hallway with the hammer like that's super cool and everything um 
but it's over before you know it. I'd rather something like this. The irony of it all, I guess, is that these fights don't even matter because she's doing this. She's in this building to save the guy and he winds up dying anyway. Oh, man. The kicker is that the wall comes down the next day, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I'm thinking if they had just waited a day, none of that would have happened. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. The futility of all of it in the end. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, I like the movie doesn't get too heavy on, on, you know, like, oh, big themes. Like it's, it is more, it's like, it's cool. And like, it's doing a lot of, a lot of really cool and interesting uh, things to the degree that there is like that thematic underpinning. It is a lot of that, like they're doing the bidding of all of like other people in this complicated web of things that everybody only half understands, you know, where all the moving pieces are and what the point of everything is. And like, ultimately the point is like, uh. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like burn after reading in a way, right? Mm. Like it's almost like a much edgier yeah, yeah, thing though, yeah. but it's like, what was it all for? It's like, well, not much not mu- really. Yeah. Like it was like, we didn't really learn anything from any of this, but it just happened. I mean, then the, the guy even comes in at the end and is like, we've decided to bury this <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. whole operation. It never happened. <laughs> but that was because of what Charlize did, right? That's because she made McAvoy look like he was Satchel, that she set him up and basically made it seem like, oh, like the, the, it yeah. was like a burnt mission or a waste of mission or whatever. I think you just hit on the thing there is like, that's what the movie's really about. Like, it's not about the Berlin Wall. Like, it even comes out in the beginning and it is like, this is not oh, that story. Ber- yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah, this is just like a hard boiled spy detective thriller going on, really, that happens to take place between, you know, the tensions of East and West Berlin and stuff. I I think that makes it cooler. I don't think it's definitely necessary, per se. I mean, I tend to like the Berlin spy movies a lot, like the ones from the 60s and 70s and stuff. There's my, Michael Caine was in a couple. And yeah, like, that's mostly, it's more about that. It's more about, okay, got to find this watch with a list, you know, it's kind of like a Mission Impossible thing. There's just this MacGuffin, and who can you trust? You can't trust no one. It's great. I just love how it really just leans into that whole, it's almost like the first half of a really great James Bond movie before it gets, like, super outlandish and, like, you know, either goes to Atlantis or the moon or something like that. Like, they really (laughs) stick to, like, their chest and, like, play it straight and stuff, and it just feels like a really great sort of version of that. I would disagree slightly with your point about it not mattering that like that it's you know Berlin because like it's not the story of the wall because I also think that you can feel the ways in which Berlin like plays a role in the story itself not quite in a like oh it's also a character too kind of way but I I mean the movie was that was one of the working titles for the movie was Berlin uh, I believe (laughs) and I'm glad you know they didn't use that title like it's you can feel its presence it it, like it the bouncing back and forth thought you know I'm on either side of the wall and like the role that that plays I think is a little bit more than just dressing for a spy story Mm. yeah I probably spoke too soon with that too probably (laughs) no because you're right though because that there's a whole like the Russians and the Germans there's a whole spy culture I mean even with the Russians now it's still going on like there's a huge culture of of spies and networking and all that kind of thing so yeah you're right like yeah the setting I gotta give it more credit absolutely but I think the movie like that this is not that story does a good job of setting up like 
you think that you might have seen this kind of movie before, but it is not. Like, it's it's a fresh take on things. Mm-hmm. And I like that, like, I think even if it's just the fact that it's neon-soaked, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I feel like a lot of the movies, like, a lot of spy movies in general are just, they have a specific color palette, or they have this specific way that you sort of expect to watch them, or whatever, and this is not that, literally not that movie. Yes. Like, it's, it's, not, a, it's not a dude saving the day, it's a woman. You know, it's not this like it's it, you know if there's the lesbian sub subplot the neon soaked nature of it all there's the killer killer soundtrack like it is in its core and in the way that it tells the story it is a spy movie by just about every convention the way that it does that across the board is like it breaks convention in every single way mm-hmm. like it is and it isn't exactly what you think it's going to be i feel like it's a great marriage of old and new stuff like filmmaking like old taking this idea of like like the old spy who's like trying to come in from the cold and has to do like one last job or something but then mm-hmm. soaking it in the modern day sort of like palette and like aesthetic and like using modern you know more modern filmmaking tools and stuff like the extremely long 10 minute staircase fight you know i mean hitchcock go see Rope, like he did a whole movie in one take, you know, as best he could. It's basically just the four reels. I mean, there's just amazingly, you know, hidden cuts in that movie. But I'm saying they're like taking the old, merging it with the mm-hmm. new, and it's like coming out like so sweet. It's just so nice. I mean, it, these people, all the people involved here are just ultra talented and just, I can't imagine, I mean, the, the vision must have been so clear in their head because like it's so clear to me now watching it, like what they were going for. And I just, you know, I just can't applaud it enough like I was just really shocked at, at like how much I enjoyed watching this movie it's just such an immersive like just a cool immersive experience too like I, because like you said like everyone who worked on this you know to be applauded because they were all working towards what clearly as you said had to have been a cohesive vision like like clear cohesive vision and this is uh, based on a graphic novel that I'm not aware of at all or anything like that but it's one of those moments where I'm like, all right, I got to go seek this out now. Like when I learned that like Road to Perdition was a graphic novel kind of situation or the history of violence, I was like, these movies are incredible. Like I got to go seek out these source materials now. Yeah, it's called The Coldest City, I think. And it's, I think it seems like based on what I've very, very briefly read, it seems like a pretty faithful adaptation, except the lesbian subplot, the Mm -hmm. Charlize, Sophia Boutella Mm -hmm. subplot was changed to give it a little bit of edge or a little bit of difference in terms of like what could differentiate this from other spy movies similar? Well, specifically in that Sofia Butella, the character was male in, in the in the comic. Oh, the okay, okay. So it's that's, the, that's the okay. change specifically. Gotcha, okay. Yeah. I feel like she's not in enough stuff because she's so good in this movie. She's great in The Kingsman. Mummy. She's the mummy. She's oh, the new boy. I know. But she she is actually very good as the as the mummy. It's the movie around her <laughs> that, that <laughs> tends to have some issues. But yeah, I, I've loved her in the in Kingsman. I was like, who is this person? And then I realized that's the first one of the first things she ever did. But she's been popping up from time to time very happily. And I mean, I just I just love her in this movie. I think she's just so good. I like that she is 
you know, she's kind of like the rookie cop. I mean, she's a spy, but she's the rookie cop that, like, by the end, like, lets the emotion, lets her emotions get the best of her, and it, be, it leads to her downfall. Up to that point, like, she's very good at what she does. She just falls too hard, too fast for Charlize. I mean, how can you not? I mean, the way that Charlize, yes. like, Charlize can smoke the hell out of a cigarette in this movie. Like, it is unbelievable <laughs> how cool she looks smoking cigarettes in this movie. That almost, you know, like, I don't smoke, but, like, the way that she makes it look, I'm like, oh, like, if I could do it like that, like, maybe. <laughs> yeah. I haven't had a cigarette in six years and i wanted one so bad but it's been six years and i was like is this the movie that's is, gonna is this crack what breaks me? me yeah <laughs> no just have a stoli on on the rocks or whatever you know just pretend that you're a russian spy it's crazy what you say about like her um the sophia's care what's her character name again i forget uh i keep wanting to say delphine but this is that's because that's a also like a queer french love interest in a different delphine <laughs> delphine Oh, yeah, from, yeah, from Orphan, Orphan Black. Black. What I find interesting about her, and not just her, but basically, like, all the major players in here is, like, or anyone with, like, a speaking role, it seems like they're the... It's weird how they, like, they almost feel like the only people in this world, like, everyone else is just sort of, like, to either get, like, beat up by them or just be, like, a punk rocker hanging out by the wall in the background or, or a march or something. I don't know. I just get the sense that, like, they're the only people in this world that really like matter i don't know they just feel so real like even down to bill skarsgård who shows up shout out castle rock but like the bartender who i'm just like oh he's just gonna be the bartender and then ends up by the end of the movie being being charlize's like secondhand man or something like that Mm -hmm. like part of her entourage and everything but i just really got a kick out of how everybody just seemed to really have their thing like she was the photographer mcavoy was sort of like the smuggler, Skarsgård was like the hacker, you know, he turns out to have like that little den of hackers and everything. It's just really, really cool. Circling back to Delphine being gender bending that character, I agree. Sophia Boutella was fantastic. I enjoyed the inclusion of that. That was also like a key, like I watched this trailer a bajillion times because like so the trailer featured the, you know, neon drenched aesthetic, cool, like, you know, hinted at the cool soundtrack. It used that whole, the, the scene where she jumps out with the rope, like that was in the trailer. And I was like, Charlize Theron plays a bisexual Cold War spy. Like this is everything I like never knew I needed a movie to be. And so I was like, great, I'm gonna keep watching this over and over again all of that being said i think one of the things when we on the snark squad pod episode where we talked about this but this was one of the things that we kind of like i don't know weren't i I have i still have mixed feelings about i'm still not entirely sure i love this movie and i am glad that they went the route of like flipping this character for the sake of including that additional bit of representation and i don't think that there's another way you could have ended it like she she had to die like as per you know like the story that's like that is where the story was going um and I'm not really sure how it would have worked if she hadn't but it's one of those things where it doesn't exist in a vacuum like you know like none of these decisions ever exist in a vacuum I do also have a number of friends who are sort of who were like who felt very put off and kind of betrayed by the story because it felt like they're like oh yeah like this is so cool and then like haha bury your gaze trope uh (laughs) so like that that piece of it was a little distressing and I'm not really sure if you know I don't I don't know I bring this up not because I have like a clear like answer or opinion more that it's it is probably my greatest source of unease with the movie is that there's a number of other criticisms of the movie that I have read just about it being too not needing so many twists at the end that I totally disagree don't care I think that's fun I was there for the (laughs) ride of it I like I that's but I get it whatever have that feeling 
feeling. This is the one critique of the movie, though, that I was like, oh, you're not wrong. <laughs> I still love it, but you're not wrong. So I don't know. Mm. I'm putting that out there. I can't talk about this movie and not also mention that. Yeah, I'd be lying if I didn't say I didn't feel that as well. Like, I definitely got a sense, especially... First off, I got a sense that she just could have been in the movie more. Like, they could have just explored her and Charlize's relationship. I felt like right. when I first saw this movie that they would have teamed up and she would have been her recon girl or something like that. Um, and then ultimately, when she when she dies, I for sure think she needed to put up a hell of a better fight, you know? Like, they needed to write her in as, like, more of a... Having more skills with, with like, fighting. And Charlize showed her, like, a trick or two that she could have mm. pulled on McAvoy. I mean, she does end up stabbing him a couple times times and everything right. but it just feels like she goes out too easy for her line of work like I just feel like she would have been trained better but I mean yeah it's hard to say what was going on at the time on set or writing or in production and everything else but that's sort of just the way I would have liked to have seen it play out a little better I like all of that I hadn't thought about any of those things but now that you said I'm like yeah do those things. <laughs> <laughs> I think the only way that you can sort of justify it, and I don't even know if justification is the right thing, but just that she is so new to the profession. You know, like it just feels like mm-hmm. Charlize is obviously, it's amazing how much, like the, the way that this movie opens with Charlize, like just bruised from head to toe in the in the ice bath. Yeah. And like the way that she's able to sort of put on her game face, like with just like a little bit of ice, a little bit of vodka and a little bit of makeup and she's like ready to do her job again Uh like i feel like it just shows that she's done this so many times and like the what we do get from the relationship with her and sophia butella from her and delphine is her just sort of being like that mom in a way and that's sort of a weird metaphor but like you know in this line of work you have to do xyz you don't do a b and c or whatever and i just think that that's that's Mm -hmm. i don't know if it's a great justification i just think it shows like maybe why she didn't really go down fully swinging is just because i think the movie does a really good job of establishing that both Charlize and james mcavoy are like have been in this line of work for maybe as long as sophia butella has been alive you know what i mean like it feels like she might be half their age and like for 20 years they've both been in the spy game and she's just like basically outclassed you know, she, she might be great at what she does, but she's just sort of, you know, outclassed. Yeah, I buy that. Yeah, I get that too. So let's talk about the soundtrack, because we mentioned it a couple different times. Soundtrack rules. Soundtrack yes. is yes. amazing. Yep. What's also <laughs> really great about this, I think, is that the soundtrack is not only cool, but it's not even like specifically the needle drops, but it's almost like the the needle drop of the volume adjustment. Like the way that he is able to uh-huh. turn up a song at the right time Mm -hmm. in the very, very beginning when I think it's the David Bowie song. And like, it's just like the quiet song. And then you see her leave her apartment and like it swells and it kicks in and it's like, yeah, like this, this sort of song, like, you know, lulls you into like her routine. And now she's in the world. Like she's coming out fierce or there's like other parts where like in action scenes where just, turns up and it kicks up and just it's just awesome like not only the song's great and the vinyl is awesome and like the whole soundtrack is amazing but it's just the way that it's implemented and it's sort of not diegetic but also kind of diegetic like it just mm-hmm. it's just it's wonderful yes i have nothing else to say but yes <laughs> <laughs> there's a great use of like foreign covers in this as well yeah. at times where you think they're going to be playing like an american version and it's all of a sudden it's like wait a minute like 
you're not talking English. Uh, this is amazing. <laughs> like, I know this song, but now I get to, like, relearn it all over again. This is great. Or just, like, when the when it's so on the nose it's and it becomes a joke, like, when they play 99 Luf Balloons, and you're like, yes. Right, like, right. They're in Germany. Like, it would just be on the radio or something. But, yeah, they really kick ass but they like they they do a thing in here too that i love that it, that's come up recently from time to time where like the score will sort of be like a variation of the theme of one of the songs and i can't remember exactly which one but it reminds me of sort of like kill bill 2 where um robert rodriguez basically took this one song from the first movie the the bang bang she shot me down and he basically just like changed it and like played it in different styles throughout the entire movie as the score you know so like there was like a familiarity to it mm-hmm. like it was always the same sort of melody it was just played in like a different key or something so what you're saying is that this movie does what the last face does not do oh def- it does everything the opposite of that movie joey <laughs> like, <laughs> but no i'm just saying like musically i love when movies do that well they'll take like a popular song and they'll thread it into the actual score and they'll do like a variation on it and stuff but but yeah it's so synth drenched like it's just, oh, I loved it. I think there's also, like, other things, just in terms of, like, the the more subtle, but not subtle, subtle's not the right word, but the things that aren't the action, the things that you might not leave talking about. But I think there's, like, amazing edits in this movie. Like, the one in particular yeah. I'm thinking of, and it also reminded me way back of The Astronaut's Wife with Johnny Depp. Whoa, when they're in the museum? Yes. When no kidding. the camera, like, <laughs> turns 90 degrees or whatever yeah. but like the fact that they go like Charlize pins Sofia Boutella against the wall then they have like their confrontation uh-huh. and then they go against the other wall and then the camera sort of falls onto them in bed uh-huh. like that's just so cool and like it's a little thing and I think you know obviously it's just two beautiful people who are like basically or on the ver- on the way to being naked in the scene I can't overstate how cool that editing is like mm-hmm. it's just it's great yeah. yeah I actually there's a moment I wanted to bring up quickly too where the editing I missed it the first movie because like I just feel like this movie's tricky like it tells you things and you don't even realize you're you're seeing it or being told or anything and I might not be 100% correct on this but at like the hour mark of this movie McAvoy is looking through the microfiche at home on his little thing he discovers that she is satchel right he has like this epiphany you know and I didn't realized that the first time I saw it I thought he just realized he found out who Satchel was but didn't connect the dots but they actually show her name and then they show the name Satchel and and it's like oh now the rest of the movie you're supposed to know that she's the double agent and everything so like re-watching it I felt like I was watching it for the second and third time in a weird way or something like it was just so awesome to see it from a whole different perspective this time well also I think later in the movie too I don't know if you if you're watching it for the first time you're trying to figure out what's going on you might not realize what she's doing but she's like editing the recorded right. audio of him yes. to make it sound I like love, yeah. framing I people I love watching her splice the tape to, oh my god it's like so cool and good and like they because they work there's a couple shots of her editing the, like the tape together and they, those shots start early they're mixed in with a lot of the interrogation like they they, they yeah. come mm-hmm. they, they they come like immediately before and after uh some of the interrogation shots and it's one of those things that like if you don't before you know the ending like, like the first time through it's not like it's, it's not entirely clear but when like when you go back and rewatch it you're like oh it's telling you it's telling you <laughs> it's there <laughs> this is her editing like you can see like they're totally acknowledging that she's editing the story 
story that she's telling both like lit both you know in the room but also like literally editing you know the tape it's almost like a prestige moment joey it made oh, me yeah. think of like mm-hmm. nolan for a minute where it's like you didn't realize it but i told you the ending like in the first <laughs> frame of the movie <laughs> yep. shout out cinemakers go listen to that episode of cinemakers what i also love about those <laughs> scenes of her editing is that charlie's never doesn't look great in this movie even when she's bruised she still looks great but like i love that she is able to pull off like the killer i'm going out to the world look but also just like her in her comfy clothes like she's just like she looks (laughs) so comfy in these scenes and also just looks great like her t-shirts or like the sweaters or what like it just she's always like her outfits regardless of who she's in front of in this movie are just incredible so good the wardrobe is so good all of it it's just she just looks beautiful from start to finish there's that great moment when she uses her turtleneck and like pulls it up over her face like a ninja mask i'm like oh right after right after she jumps out of the window oh so good whoever wrote that that was so smart i wonder how what the moment was when they decided to do that because it's like (laughs) oh we're so smart for doing this guys Yeah, I hope whoever came up with that idea was very proud of themselves. <laughs> they should be. <laughs> I like that it's not the last line of the movie, but I like that almost the last line of this movie is John Goodman saying cocksucker, really? And then Charlie's <laughs> just saying, I'm glad it was convincing. You know, like, hey, like, I, you know, I'm sorry that I was, that I called you that, but, you know, I had to sell it. Yeah, yeah. I, I love John Goodman in this movie. Like, he's just sitting there being John Goodman with like that John Goodman <laughs> face like I don't know like there's I mean he's a great actor he's always been a great actor and everything but like I don't know I've never seen him in a role quite like this like that maybe that's why I thought for a minute of burn after reading because sometimes in that interrogation it gets a little Cohen-esque for me with like all the sort of like talking in circles or like is it the truth or like what does she mean and Langley doesn't understand what you know, the British intelligence are talking about and like there's just like a, you know, like a gap, like an intelligence gap, like somewhere in that room that is sort of like I I get a little bit of a laugh out of that. I don't know if I have any more notes about this. I have a bunch more trivia, but before I get to that, is there anything else that you guys want to talk about this movie before I do some stuff Then we we do our little games and such at the end? I'm not sure if it's my favorite moment. It might, it's one of though. It's it's definitely one of my favorite earlier moments, but uh, when she gets picked up by the wrong people, people at the airport mm. and escapes the car mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. car fight is just incredible and yep. and how smart it is to like crash it and you know survive the crash and all that and everything like that was just a lot of fun it was just like okay this movie is just coming out of the gate guns blazing pretty much doesn't stop like it never runs out of bullets <laughs> like the it just... fact that we spent like a solid you know 15 20 minutes whatever gushing about all of the like fantastic fight choreography and still like didn't even have time to get back around to when she intentionally like flips a car and like like stabs a guy <laughs> with her stiletto whatever that whole sequence says a lot about how fantastic all of the fight choreography in this movie is and i also like after that that you know when james mcavoy rescues her kind of like i like that she's mm. always being rescued in this movie where she very clearly does not need right. rescuing <laughs> right, right. like he rescues her there sort of and like sophia butella rescues her from that guy at the bar she even says like oh i rescued you like it looks like you needed saving or whatever like no i think she's i think <laughs> no, she's good she's good she's good mcavoy just brought her shoe back to her i mean that's like, <laughs> she shoots at him and he's like no, no no don't shoot i have your shoe and so she stops then just such great character building where he's like oh let me help you with your bags all he does is open the trunk and they just fall from 
you know, the car is upside down, so they fall from, like, six feet just onto the ground. She goes, basically, like, what the fuck, dude? Come on, like, what are you doing? Like, I just love that little moment there. Yeah, it sets up their whole dynamic very well. Oh, yeah, he's such a prick. I mean, it's great. Like, he plays that part so well. Like, I love McElvoy and just about everything that he's in. Um, and like, But he's usually so charming and likable, and it's just great to see him play, like, a real bastard Marmy pretty much bastard. like yeah yeah, totally. yeah he does it so so well and he just gets that like look in his face you just want to slap him and you know you can't <laughs> like, it's like well, ah McAvoy you know a movie that came out right before this that he was not very likable and then he also was sort of smarmy and kind of scary and was split mm-hmm. and oh that was it before Phil- this I think so oh the same year yeah oh, and while right. filming split he broke his hand so i think that cast that he has for most of this movie is <gasps> actually his cast oh my god that's oh. great i feel bad i like i reacted immediately but now i'm like i like it's like i'm saying it's great that someone was injured uh <laughs> 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 which is not at all what i meant i was just so excited by this bizarre piece of trivia I don't think it's great when people get injured on sets, just so we're clear. But similarly to that, I mean, not similarly to that at all, but just in terms of, like, being injured, Charlize cracked two teeth while filming, so I mean, she, she, she really runs for the ringer here, so I can definitely see that happening. Joey, that is very sort of pertinent to... Ooh the podcast teeth. because teeth are teeth are a big part nicole i don't know i mean i don't know why you would know this or how you would find <laughs> out but like this is some real deep charlie this shit. is I yeah this is much. some real sort of like right but like yeah charlie's has had sort of like teeth problem growing up and in the past and wears replacements and stuff so like yeah it's just kind of funny that mm. like that still follows her around to this day which i mean maybe mike maybe it has to be the black and chrome teeth i guess we were yeah, gonna do that, that right because the grills back. right yeah so. oh yeah yeah we were gonna it's going to be just yeah. be like an Immortan Joe mouth mask is what the award Ugh. is going to be. <laughs> I guess so. Charlize, so this is just some of the, the things that Charlize had to go through. She was slammed against a padded wall in that fight scene, but her tumble down the stairs, which were padded to look like marble, was executed by a stunt woman. Uh, so she didn't actually have to fall down the stairs in that sequence, which is good. Is the stunt woman Zoe Bell? Is it, no, no Zoe, it's Monique is Gonderton. Zoe Oh, okay, I was thinking of Zoe from Death Proof. Yeah, no, I think she's. I think she's just mostly an actor. I mean, I think she probably does stunts. Oh, she she's did also... hella stunts in uh, Thor three. So I was just wondering if. Oh, she was okay, there. cool. Charlize spent five years developing this project. I think this was like really sort of one of her babies, mm-hmm. and so that. She really wanted to oh, that's this awesome to know. She's mm-hmm. like producer here. Yeah. Yep. She was a producer here, which I think is also why it's understandable, or why like. This is sort of like a return to Charlize nudity. And like she's naked in sort of a lot of this movie or in underwear in a lot of this movie also. You know, early on we sort of tracked this because, you know, Nicole, this is something that we learned, you know, from this from this straight white male point of view that we're like, <laughs> oh yeah, boobs in movies. But like early on when she's in these terrible, terrible movies and she's like topless or whatever, like what? Like why? What? But like she maybe didn't have a choice back then. Right. But now that she's obviously Charlize Theron, like the movie star and also producer of this movie, like she is okay with it. Like this is her her choice, her consent, her decision, whatever. So it's 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 always refreshing question mark to see 
when it's like her choice to do this like it it defines the character through these actions or these you know choices or whatever this is also something i I guess i said i didn't have anything else to say but i totally forgot about that but the like the nudity piece of it that is something Mm -hmm. also else about that i will say about this movie is that while she is naked or half naked quite often in this movie it never feels like that same level of grossness that like i I totally know exactly what you're talking about but like it feels much more thoughtful i mean like the first time that we see her naked we see her bruised all to shit and yeah. so you know like the nudity feels much more intentional here and mm-hmm. much less like yeah. haha boobs yeah yeah it doesn't seem so gratuitous yeah, too no, like i never, don't even never feel like gratuitous that's yes that's yeah what i can say. never really get a good look you know what i'm saying like that i feel like that's what they're going for it's like you can't ever sort of they never really hold long enough and that's tasteful yeah, even the, the explicit sex scene between them like you i you see a bunch of skin you probably see both of their boobs but like it feels it doesn't feel creepy like it feels not tender but like kind of tender like it feels like a a love scene as opposed to just like a graphic sex scene like it just feels that this is them like actually like like actually in a relationship and what i like later is you see later in them in bed and you know they're covered up by a sheet but like charlie's is just kind of like stroking her like very like affectionately like it's just stroking her like they're, they they share a tender series of moments here that they might just be doing it for the job or whatever like whatever charlie says but it feels like there's actually something that you know, does genuine yeah and real that, like that relationship does feel very genuine and my friend caitlin who was on our our episode about this movie pointed out to me that i keep referring to her as and will continue to refer to her as for my own selfish reasons but a badass bisexual spy but like the movie only seems to like really suggest that the her relationship with Delphine is like something coming from a place that is like earnest and true at, at least a little bit and it's not clear whether the guy who dies to set all of this in motion was ever anything more than a mark like once you actually know the ending of the movie and you like sort of view it back through through that lens it's mm. totally possible that he was just a mark so in theory she could actually just be a badass lesbian spy, which is also fair if that's how anybody would like to view her. I will not give up my own attachment personally, <laughs> but like well, you can watch I welcome everyone. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I welcome everyone else to that interpretation. So there was actually something that I read on IMDb. I don't know if you read this when you were looking for your podcast. Was that apparently after World War II, MI6 would recruit a lot of junkies, alcoholics, and gay men. Oh. Sort of spies. like um, huh. La Femme Nikita, that Luc Besson movie. I mean, that wasn't MI6, but like they get like this heroin addict, clean her up, and turn her into an assassin. It's a great movie. They remade it, Point of No Return, with Bridget Fonda. Oh, La Femme Nikita is great. But the reason that they did this, apparently, was because these were all people who lived life holding secrets. And oh. so, you know, whether you're a, like a closeted gay man in the 40s, or uh-huh. you are trying to hide a drug addiction or alcohol addiction, you were able to sort of present yourself to the world in one way while harboring a secret. So I think their thinking was that if they cleaned you up, that you would be able to better keep secrets than like the average Joe, I guess they would find in the street. Right. Anyway, right. James McAvoy said that he heard that, and so he tried to make himself like as like much of a, you know, alcoholic oh. and drunk and fuck up and whatever and druggy and whatever and he said he wanted to make his character gay too but they said that i guess i don't know if it was david leach or producers or what but they basically said like we don't want to kind of diminish 
the Charlize relationship in this. Mm-hmm. So like you can't like that's like the, the sort of the focus here. Yeah. So you have to wake up in bed with two naked women instead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in that exactly. one shot. Because <laughs> that's very important character building. Uh. Exactly. I mean, yeah. He's. We already know like that's like, probably we sort of assume that's how he wakes up, but. Hey, man, whatever. <laughs> Two things about Bowie. Bowie was offered a part in the film, but he said no, and then I think he died before they, they would passed. have filmed it anyway, but yeah. uh, they wanted, David Leach wanted him in this movie. To do it, doing what? I don't know. Okay. They wanted him in Blade Runner also, right? But also, once again, shout out uh, The Prestige with actually casting David Bowie in there. The song Cat People is in this, we talked about that earlier, but what I forgot about is that it's also used in Glorious Bastards when Shoshana puts on her lipstick when she's getting ready to, like, go kill a whole room full of Nazis. So it used in, in both these movies, like with like badass chicks who are about to kill a whole bunch of dudes, a whole bunch of bad dudes, you know, in, in both these movies. So I think that's pretty cool. And uh, isn't the watchman in this Hugo Stiglitz, one of the Bostads? Oh, if I'm is not he? Mistaken? I'm not positive, but I was looking at him. I was like, he looks like Hugo Stiglitz to me. Let's see here. Hugo Stiglitz. The guy who played Hugo Stiglitz is Till Schweiger. Let's see, were you in Atomic Blonde? He is from Germany. Uh, Atomic Blonde, he's the, he, he's the watchmaker. Oh, there we go. See how he does it Nazi balls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. I, I should have just read the entire trivia. This is the second film to feature Till Schrieger in the song Cat People. Okay, <laughs> so there we go. <laughs> we're awesome. I love this show. <laughs> we talked about this already, but when uh, Charlize takes her high heel off and kills the guy with it or you know, attacks the guy with it, McAvoy picks it up and gives it to her. It's a Christian Dior shoe, and apparently Charlize has been the face of Christian Dior's mm-hmm. J'adore perfume mm-hmm. since 2004. So, you know, a little bit of a cross-promotion here. That's crazy. You want, yeah, do you think she's... I mean, yeah, she snuck that in, right? Like, that was like... Because she's a producer, and right. she's like, hey, we could get free high heels. Right, like, right. I think there's also a <laughs> bottle of that perfume on a, a boudoir somewhere or something like that. Like, I think there's oh. just like... They probably... Christian Dior probably paid for it to be in there. I don't, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. The, 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 at the intersection of film and capitalism. You got uh, <laughs> the unexpected Dior product placement, which, by the way, that's like I I don't know why they haven't done more with this. This is that's what a great and glorious campaign. Dior, the product of badass spy ladies. Yeah, <laughs> they, you exactly. Know, had had a long day at work, kicking ass, and then you want to go home and just relax. Dior. Yeah, wear our shoes and smell like us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the only other thing that I have is that. The second time Lorraine meets up with Delphine, when Charlize meets up with Sophia Butella, Sophia Butella orders her the drink, and Charlize says, you pay attention? Mm-hmm. And Delphine says, I look for pleasure in the details. And I don't know if this was just actual trivia or just the way that she says the line. I listened to it, and it does sound like she just speaks in her American accent there. Like, it's just Charlize saying, you pay attention, like she normally speaks, not in her British accent. So, like, it's weird... The point of the trivia on IMDb is that, like, Delphine is saying, oh, I'm very good at noticing the little details, and then not noticing that she just dropped her accent here, which is a little bit of a thing. But I was also trying to track Charlize's accent throughout this movie, because, you know, she speaks, I think, normally with the South African accent, and then she, I think, speaks most of the time with the American accent, but we've seen her in a whole bunch of different stuff. And I feel like it sort of comes in and out a little bit. Yeah. But I, I did notice in the scene, in this specific line, that's like, oh, right, that kind of does sound, you know, American, so... Who knows? Yeah, at the end, I was definitely 
throne that she was American. I didn't for a second believe she was working with the Russians. I just thought that, you know, she was tying up loose ends and stuff. But when she is on the plane and she drops the British accent and whatever, I was like, oh, okay, like now I hear it. Because I really didn't, I guess I just wasn't paying attention or everything is just so lyrical. It didn't, I wasn't really considering whether or not the accent was like going in and out or anything. But like, because it's also like, Everyone else is either like speaking other languages or in thick accents too. So I was just sort of flowing with it. And then at the end, I was like, wow, like, okay, now I really noticed like she's doing the American thing on the plane yeah. and all that stuff. Charlie's master of accents. I mean, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Unless she's in an animated movie like we talked about, Mike. And then in that case, oh, yeah. And then just it's her just normal voice. Her normal voice. Nicole, do you have any other thoughts or any other notes about Atomic Blonde before we do our quick little game and then do nominate this for some awards? Let's, let's play a game. Cool. So before we get to a game, there is one thing. I, we have an email address on the show, watch at cageclub.me. Let us know what you think of the movie. No email today. However, Mike, I do not realize that she followed us on Instagram, but our, our friend, our fan, Angelica Frattini from Italy commented on a Watch the Throne picture that I put on our Instagram, which is at Cage Club Pod. Oh, so I put picture? up the last face, and my comment was, hope you're ready for the worst Charlize movie of all time. <laughs> and she said, it's not. We have a lot to talk about. And I was Whoa. like, oh, hmm. email us your thoughts. Let us know. She's not emailing yet. So, Angelica, if you want to let us know why The Last Face is not terrible, we'd be happy to hear it, read about it, talk about it on the show. And I am way open for discussion, too. Like, I, you know, like I could be swayed, possibly. I mean, look, just look what happened with Waking Up in Reno, you know? like, Have you watched <laughs> it again yet or no? No, but I intend to before the end of the run. It'll be the only two-time okay. screening uh, I think for any podcast, like, wow, we've been doing them. So cool. that'll be a first. Very cool. Well, so, okay, so it's time for the game, Nicole. It's called Unfortunate Improv. It's been a series of games that have evolved as we've gone on with the show. The game that we are playing today is called Stan Lee Yourself. So if you want to roll, like a walk-on role in this movie, either as a character who exists in this movie or as a character who you add to the movie, how would you put yourself in? into Atomic Blonde, what would you do? What would you say? Would you interact with anybody? Would you just sort of be standing there awkwardly in the background? How would you Stanley yourself? How would you give yourself a cameo in Atomic Blonde? Oh my God, this is so hard. This is not as hard as when Aislinn made me play that Shakespeare game uh, <laughs> on the contenders. Shakespeare and game do not sound um, like they should go together. That game was <laughs> ridiculously difficult. That game was way too hard. It was profoundly unfair. I was not prepared. On the She's the Man episode of the contenders, go check that out. And then yes. go check out the She's the Man episode of Magic Mike's. <laughs> yes, lots of She's the Man content that you should definitely check out. Mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. would like to get murdered by Lorraine. So I would Ooh, insert yes. myself as one of the people in the that apartment when she's like rustling through his apartment like one of the cops who who just like okay. you know is like shows up and like tries i'm not really sure who like replaced one of the existing cops did she fight any other women in this movie no i don't think so right no. yeah that's what it's lacking yeah. if she went that's... up against like a mma fight i will i will i will go be <laughs> one of those women uh one of the non-existent women who who lorraine murders in that scene in particular i think that's i'm like, into it lady it cop is. seems plausible that works very nice. cool Mike, how would you Stanley yourself? Okay, so as soon as this scene came up, I said, "That's me in the movie." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was in it was when um, Bill Skarsgård sort of like walking her through his little hacker den, and there's a bunch of dudes like at computers. One of them is playing Tetris, 
And I was like, that's oh, me. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm totally just the hacker playing Tetris. And there's Everyone all else is like stuff. doing their hacking when you're like, eh, yep. I could. <laughs> or I could just play some more Tetris. When I saw that happening, I was like, oh, it's super cool for like the, you know, the Russians, the guys who created the te- created Tetris to be playing Tetris. Like, ah, oh, the German. Like, that was, like yeah, German. it's so close, but it's mm-hmm. not quite there. But but I feel like it's time appropriate. It's oh, that's sure. when Tetris was out and they probably like stole it off. You know, the comp- you know what I'm saying? They they sure. hacked they hacked that's a hacked version of Tetris. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm going to put myself in this sort of already exists in the movie, but in that scene that we talked about earlier where that guy is hitting on Charlize, before Sophia Butella comes up, there's two women in the background of the bar just talking to each other. They don't have any lines. They're talking to each other throughout the entire thing just to sort of give the illusion that this bar is not just three people. So I would love to be just behind Charlize watching this guy try to hit on her and just rolling my eyes so hard <laughs> at the fact that like he's trying so desperately to pick her up. Like, oh, can you get a load of this guy? And just, you know, every time he tries to like, you know, say something super cool or super casual or whatever, just roll my eyes and then pump my fist or just like celebrate in some way when he gets chased away. Like that's. I just want to be in that bar. I don't want to get beat up. I don't want to get killed. I mean, if I have to get killed, I'd love to get killed by Charlize. But I just want to be drinking a fake alcohol drink and just watching Charlize just ignore the crap out of this guy. That's my idea of fun. Yeah, that sounds nice. great. Cool. Okay, so we have one last thing to do on the show. It is nominate this film for awards. So we only have three more movies to cover in this initial run. We've got Fate of the Furious next week. Shout out to Fast 2 Forever. And then we've got two movies that came out this year, Gringo and Tully, which Mike and I have not seen. We talked about it earlier on the podcast. Nick Jenkins of Real Bad will be on our Gringo episode. So come back in two weeks for that. And then Tully in three weeks. So three movies to go. We are getting toward the end of these nominations. However, we've got plenty of things to nominate here. Best film, Atomic Blonde. Best role, Lorraine. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yes. What's Lorraine's last name? Broughton. Oh, that's right. Yes. I mean, I don't know. Maybe yeah. that's like a... I assume both... Uh, Lorraine Broughton is probably a fake British name entirely, but... Yeah, I feel like everything... Was, like, it, it It also doesn't matter what's real and what's fake. No. I mean, like, yeah. we, said that, we had that conversation earlier, matter. but, like, she's just Lorraine. Yeah. Yes, I agree. Most badass role, for sure, Lorraine Broughton. Oh, yeah. Best Charlize outfit slash wardrobe, Atomic Blonde. Oh, man. It's too good. Every, every outfit's too good. I want to... <laughs> yeah. She uses her outfit as like camo and stuff you know yeah. like she turns her shirt into a ninja mask like hell yeah <laughs> they're both very cool looking and very functional i mean come on yeah. uh, best love story i'm gonna nominate lorraine and delphine for atomic blonde best non charlie's death does anybody in this movie die in such spectacular a fashion like i feel like she kills a whole bunch of dudes <laughs> but they're not yeah. to the level necessarily of other people like you know war boy witnessed or guy getting flare gun to death in the road. Like, was there anybody in this movie that dies in such a spectacular manner that we want to possibly pay tribute to it at the Black and Chrome Teeth? I'm not sure whether it will stack up, but the guy who gets choked when she jumps out the, out of the thing. That's okay. Like, that's a pretty, I don't know, elaborate and like maybe maybe noteworthy death man choked to death by a bungee hose yes (laughs) yeah that yeah that that definitely you know what i was hoping for like a better mcavoy death to be quite honest like i mean she does kill him but like he kind of 
goes out like a punk. Like I thought like he would go out, you know, maybe falling off a roof or something like <laughs> to be quite honest. Right. I feel like he deserved a, like a worse death for being such a weasel. A little more spectacle. But his whole character right, was right. like spectacle in a way. So I don't know. You know. Oh, that's that's true. Yeah, maybe he did. Maybe he did deserve like just a quiet nothing death mm-hmm. like that. Then, mm-hmm. like, yeah. But what I also kind of like in a way, and it's sort of reminiscent of John Wick, is that you sort of expect these like big bad guys, even though he's not a big bad guy <laughs> in this movie, to have these like sort of elaborate whatever kind of deaths, and then it's business as usual. Like in right. in the real world, if this was real. She wouldn't like have a yeah. speech that she then kills him after. She's no. like, no, just shoot him and get well, on with it. You know, right. I think especially, especially... there there should be some sort of element of like, uh, yeah, like of, of struggle, like self defense, whatever. Like, and it can't. Yes, anything too elaborate mm-hmm. runs the risk of blowing her, blowing the lie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, John Wick one does it perfectly when um, you know the guy's like trying to beg as John Wick walks into the room and he's not hearing any of it, just shoots a mid-sentence, yep. you know, and doesn't even say exactly. And it's just like, I feel nothing about this. It's just job done. <laughs> Best fight. We've got to have the stairwell fight. Uh, we already oh, we man, have nominated Staircase fight. fight, Atomic Blonde. I wrote that in, I think, when we created the category. I'm also going to write <laughs> Hose Fight. Yeah, Hose uh, Fight. You know, what, you know what's so great about the stairwell fight, though, is, like, if you watch it, she at least gets, like, like she starts losing a lot of blood. And by the end of that sequence, she is way more pale than when she started that fight. Mm. You know, like, she, yeah. like, and same with one of the other dudes, I noticed. I think when we were talking about earlier, when they're just, like, exhausted and sort of, like, trying to flail at each other. Like, it's really great how you just, the uh, continuity, I guess, of that fight mm-hmm. is just, so great. I'm also going to nominate the car stiletto fight, too. It's shorter, but I think it's just super, super cool. So we got three fights, which, I mean, I think we always kind of knew this was going to yeah. be a stack category for the Atomic Blonde, but best line, I'm my own bitch now. I like that. Is there anything, any other that. lines that she says in this movie that are award-worthy? I didn't really... I haven't really been writing down, like, quotes like that, though, but I, I'm sure if you looked it up, this has a bunch, because it just seems like everyone's waiting to tell someone like a one-liner or something cool like you know like it's that kind of movie like i feel like everyone's always saying something kind of cool and quotable the most upvoted i guess quotes on imdb are david mcavoy saying talking about you can't unfuck what's been fucked which i like that but it's not her so i'm not gonna nominate that Charlize talking to mcavoy i've read your file i've also read your dog file so let's cut the crap shall we this whole hungover show up late don't know which way is up act i'm not buying it i'll trust you about as far as i can throw you and then he quotes machiavelli and she gives him shit he says oh my god i think i love you she says that's too bad that yeah, was a great trailer yeah. moment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? it was. Oh, I think I love you. I was like, <laughs> oh, I think I love this movie too. <laughs> yeah, me at this movie. Well, the only other line that I that I I love that it's just because it's just so funny that like it just says in brackets repeated line just Lorraine fucking hell. Like, yeah. <laughs> this whole movie like, that's just that's just like like just god damn it like come on guys. Oh, I also do like, this is not her line, and I'm not going to nominate this, but I do like when McAvoy is basically talking to the camera. I think it's also, I think it's, again, like we were talking about before, like Nicole, you were saying before about cutting back and forth between the editing of the audio tape. I think this is in the part where he's talking to Lorraine before she kills him, but he said there's only one question left to ask, who won and what was the fucking game anyway? Like, And that's sort of like mm-hmm. an audience like, well, there's only like one thing left, like who's Satchel? And like, does did any of this even matter? Right. And like, because you've been on this journey and like, on the one hand, it doesn't really matter, but at the same time, you're like, oh yeah, I kind of do want to know like what this is all about. 
Mm-hmm. I like that too. I like that they gave us an answer, even though it was sort of like like a twist or whatever. However, they think like I just like the idea that they ended the movie on the answer, basically. Yeah. Like, yes. No, she was an American agent the whole time, like a triple agent or something. Like that was cool. Thank you for not keeping us in the dark at the end. Their movie. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah, I I don't think I would have enjoyed it quite as much. I think like that would have been would have felt a little bit like a betrayal. That's all the other quotes. I think there's nothing else of particular. Uh-huh. Best cinematography, yes, Atomic Blonde. Oh, yeah. Best song? Is there a specific song that we want to nominate? Cat People? I mean, that's that's a good one. The other, um, Voices Carry is used really well in this movie, right? I think, um, I think there's a lot of just, like, everything. That's the problem, is that, like, I want to nominate all the songs. Well, for sure nominating Best Score Soundtrack, to be sure, for that. Okay. Okay, that, that, that covers all the It's not actually in the movie, but the trailer uses this Kanye West Depeche Mode mashup that is so good. You couldn't have, have done the mashup thing in the movie, but I just, and probably can't nominate it because it's not in the movie, but like, got a, got a like quick shout out for that fantastic mashup from the trailer. I don't know if I've ever seen the trailer because like, I, I don't watch trailers, so like I, I probably have heard it. Like I've looked down because I remember this trailer being sort of everywhere. Oh, I remember it because I remember they showed like an extended shot of the kitchen fight and I remember like the Kanye lyrics and the, uh-huh. yeah, and the blend and everything like going along to the rhythm of the fight and stuff. And I was a little surprised it wasn't somewhere in the movie, but I understand they tried to keep it sort of period appropriate. Right, right. Like I, I was surprised that it wasn't like a like a, like an end credits song or something like that. Mm-hmm. That was sort of where I was expecting it to to show up. Yeah, apparently uh, this movie takes place I think in like 89ish mm-hmm. and all the songs apparently are from like 83ish, which according to the internet the one thing I read, who knows if it's true or not, based on basically like getting stuff into Berlin or like making it become popular or whatever, like this right, sort of feels right. about right. So that's cool. That's an interesting touch. The only other thing that I want to, we need to sort of figure out if we want to nominate anybody for best or worst non-Charlize male or female actor role. Going to nominate Sofia Boutella as Delphine LaSalle. Is McAvoy worth? Is McAvoy I mean, worth the nominating? Only, he's pretty much the second lead. Yeah. I've, I don't know. But is I, he good enough to like keep up with, I you mean, know, Cuba in Men of Honor or Joaquin in The Yards or Keanu in The Devil's Advocate? Like, is he on par with those or no? Because we've already yeah, got you know, maybe a not. Bunch it's hard to say. Yeah. It's tough because he is the only other like guy performer performance like in this movie, but compared to the rest of the nominees, maybe not. No, and I think we're already over ten for this. I think we're gonna have to trim it down anyway. So I think sorry, he's good, but you know, and I think that's sorry, Jimmy M. Um, Is there anything before I do the count? I think it's gonna break our record of eleven. Is there anything else good or bad about this movie that we want to? nominate that's if i'm good nicole any thoughts any other anything that stands out like as truly great or bad in this movie they're probably not bad but any anything truly great nothing stands out as truly bad uh Ooh, okay <laughs> but yeah I, I think you that's a pretty thorough list so we have 14 mike this is a new record Whoa. best film wow. best charlie's role most badass role best outfit wardrobe best love story best non-charlie's death three in the best fight category best love best cinematography best song best score soundtrack and then Sofia Boutella so very very cool well Nicole thank you so much for being here thank you for having me this was a blast when we remember uh, we'd like to plug a podcast at the end of the network at the end of the show like another podcast on the network however we are going to seed this time to talk a little bit about Snark Squad so you guys put out a new I I didn't realize it feels like maybe just because 
I did so much real bad listening earlier this year <laughs> that it feels like Snark Squad's been around longer. But I didn't. Mm-hmm. I was sort of surprised to see that like the podcast only started this year. So, but you yes. you're doing a weekly podcast this whole year so far, right? Yep. So far, I think we missed one week because I was traveling and couldn't <laughs> couldn't do it. Um, but for the most part, yeah, every every week since the beginning of the year, talk about books and movies and TV shows and all sorts of. It's basically just a way for me and my best friend to make each other watch and read different things wait you talk about books on your podcast sometimes yes book club. Uh, sometimes we read oh you just piqued my interest because i have a book club segment on my own show <laughs> and <laughs> it's uh it's kind of i don't want to say controversial but like it's still finding its way in the world and just to find another book podcaster is, mm, is yeah relief. oh yeah yeah <laughs> you covered earlier this year both a wrinkle in time the book and then the movie right yes we did, mm-hmm. ah, we did. very cool so if you had to if people were looking for one episode of your podcast in particular to listen to is there one that you think is either a good starting point or one that you love more than the rest or just like a place for people to start? Don't mean to give you a Sophie's Choice here. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, this is, we, we joke about it too, is every week we're like, this is now our favorite episode. But I, I still have like, it's funny because like we've been doing this all year and obviously, as I'm sure you guys have also experienced, you, you get better at it the longer you mm-hmm. do a thing. So I feel weird going this far back. But I have a, like a soft spot for our fourth episode, which was about chosen one stories. So periodically, in order to give ourselves a break from trying to watch, you know, because like some if we're doing a TV show, this is like 50 episodes of a show. Now go. And uh, the, the next week, you're just going to watch a movie. But so we mixed in sort of thematic and topical episodes. So we did we've done like antiheroes and uh, fandom stuff. But the first the first one that we did like this was on Tobin actually was on an episode that we did recently uh, about sibling stories. But we did an episode about chosen one stories that is still probably my favorite of all of the topical episodes and i think it's very cool a good sense of what the rest of the podcast is so that's awesome cool and you've also been on it looks like if my search on my our site is right it looks like you've been on about 14 episodes of real bad like i said including all of the highlander movies, all that you've highlander done movies. and all the ones that are going to come <laughs> still to come you also were on the why can't there only be one yeah they fucking highlander say movie. over and over again there can only <laughs> be one it's terrible you were also on justice league and mortal Kombat and the incredible hulk so like you've had some uh some real real great movies to talk about <laughs> over there so crossroads which was genuinely good of course it's a genuinely good movie and did not belong on this podcast i was sort of joking about this with you on twitter but i want you so on real bad if people haven't listened to real bad at the end of every episode, all the guests have their own rating scale, oh. scale of one to five, whatever, or <laughs> uh-huh. not even that. Uh-huh. But Nicole's is the sunglass eye, the sunglass emoji, sunglass wearing emoji, yeah. scale I of one to, to five. I have to specify wearing so, emoji because apparently Nick and Tobin didn't, they thought I just met the sunglasses by themselves. Because they're old. Yeah, that's they're correct. Olds. That's correct. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. You're old too, Mike. <laughs> I know, but I know what a sunglass and a sunglass emoji, I know the difference with, if it's wearing the sunglasses or if they're just sunglasses well because i think if it happened because nicole you were just saying sunglass emojis, i was just and i i knew what you meant yeah yeah but they were like oh we just figured it was just the sunglasses no the guy who's wearing the sunglasses yeah. looks real cool sunglasses as a rating scale doesn't make sense sunglass <laughs> no. emoji face like the face yes. makes total sense thank you so thank you on a scale of one to five sunglass wearing <laughs> emoji faces how many does atomic blonde oh, get five I mean, there we go. off the chart. Yeah, more, more. If I if I feel like breaking the scale, but I Wonderful. mean, it's built. This is built for real bad, uh, which, which <laughs> like, enjoyment. I don't know, but definitely five for Atomic Blonde. 
Well, thank you again for being on this show. We hope to have you back on our new shows, which we still have not announced yet, but we'll be emailing out to you and people our sign-up sheets, and we'll be launching those in January. So hopefully you'll come back for those. And then when I do my pass-through of Missoula, whenever that is, I'm going to swing by the Complexly Studios (laughs) and not leave until I record one of every podcast that is out there. There's so many. There's so many. (laughs) But I'm ready. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and go check out Snark Squad and snarksquad.com. So there we go. For all things Watch the Throne and all of our other shows on the network, you can go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cageclub or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Like I said earlier, we have an email address, watch at cageclub.me. Email us your thoughts. We only have three more movies to do. We have about eight or something more episodes. We're going to come back to this podcast as time goes on for stuff like Flarsky and the Adams Family animated movie. So, Whenever Charlize puts out a new movie, Atomic Blonde 2, Nicole's going to have to come back. we got to make sure you know, we keep our franchise experts intact. Indeed. Whenever indeed. Atomic Blonde 2 comes out, she'll be back, so well, we can stay tuned to speed. We make all sorts of jokes about like, you know, getting the gang back together. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram, and email us, watch at cageclub.me. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Nicole Sweeney. And we will see you next time for The Fate of the Furious right here on Watch the Throne.